You're ready, of course, to study God's word, right? All right, get to the book of Hebrews. I want you to find Hebrews. You can find it on your technology. If you brought your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to be reading shortly a passage from there as we continue our series that I entitled, I Love My Church. All right, and we've been saying it out loud because I just think it's good to do that because Jesus loves his church. And we need to love what Jesus loves. So let's do that together, shall we? I love my church. One more time. I love my church. Yes, Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves all churches that are true to his gospel and true to his word. And he loves legacy church. I'm confident of that. The church was his idea. And we're relaying some foundation because these days are days where we're writing a new chapter. We're relaying some foundation, important foundation, as we move ever closer to that relaunch date. So I just want to remind you of all the things that we've talked about. And you can go back again and you can review it all off of YouTube because we post all of our messages on YouTube. There are people right now watching a live Facebook and on YouTube because... Uh, they're actually using some of this at their churches as well. And so that's really flattering to think that we would have something to say uh, that could be used somewhere else. But just a reminder, remember, we defined what the church was. We, we told you uh, biblically what is a church. A church just isn't something that sings songs and maybe you get a devotional and we'll just call it church. Church has some defining features to it that make it a church. We talked about how we need to love the church how we need to pray for it, to be unified in it. Thirdly, we taught on the power of a vision, how it's something to live for, something to die for. God calls churches, all churches, to do certain things, uh, you know, uh, consistently. So there'll be Bible teaching churches all over the region, and, and we will and they will do things similarly because we are called to certain things in the bible to do as a church but then there are unique aspects of vision that god gives to individual churches that will make churches a little bit different than another church something to live for something to die for and then last week we talked about how you connect to that local church or to that tribe we talked about how important it was to connect to the tribe today uh, as i'm just going to teach here for a few moments Today, it, it may feel like I'm stepping back just a moment, kind of catching up on something. I didn't really know how, how maybe to lay out these messages. But today, I really want to put out a message uh, that I think is really relevant in the 21st century. And you may not think it's relevant to you right now because you're here in church, and I commend you. Because if you're here in church right now, you're going to feel really good about yourself because I'm going to talk about why it's important to be in church. And, and, and so you'll have no guilt and no shame or, or you'll, you'll not have any of those lingering issues as, oh, I wasn't in church and I should have been in church. So you're here. So God bless you, thank you, and may the Holy Spirit come upon you greatly. But I want to deal with the question because there's going to come either a time in your life or you're going to have contact with somebody who's really going to have a lot of questions about whether or not do I really have to go to church? Is that really important to go to church? Is it like mandatory? Is it kind of optional? You know, it's interesting that the Catholic Church teaches what is known, and this is the Latin, and I realize nobody will know what the Latin means, and I really didn't until I looked it up. 
Extra ecclesium nulla solus. It means there is no salvation outside the church. And so the Catholic Church teaches, in effect, that if you're in the Roman Catholic Church, you're okay. (laughs) But if you're not in the Roman Catholic Church, you're not okay. You're not okay with God or them. And I'm not here to throw darts at Catholics. I'm just here to say that there is this understanding within our friends in Roman Catholicism that man, to be in the church is really, really, really important. And so the question comes up, especially those of us who are of the Protestant persuasion, uh, if that's true, or is it true, and if it's true, then how does that work with, with those of us that you know, are going to legacy church or going to another church? So many questions to wrestle with as to whether or not being in church and at church is uh, required of us or not. So I wanted to tee this up by sharing with you. I ran across some statistics from a survey by the Barna Group concerning America's religious views about church. And Barna is notably accurate in these matters, and I believe we put them on the screen, and you can see them. I don't know, sometimes people like writing this down. I just thought these were interesting. I wanted to share this with you before we really dug into our text today. And it's this, 73% of Americans... That means three-quarters of our nation are self-identified Christians. Now, if you ask them and said, are you a Christian, they would say yes. But understand, that could mean anything. We're not really defining what it means to be a Christian in the survey. We're just asking, is that how you would define yourself, however you define it? And three-quarters of our nation, which I find remarkable, actually, would self-identify as a Christian. 73%, which means the exact same amount of those people surveyed, say that their faith is important to them. All right? Now, here's what it becomes interesting. Of that 73%, now, I'm not talking about the one quarter that they're outside of those numbers, but of the 73%, only 31% attend church once a month or more. In fact, recent studies suggest that less than 15% attend church faithfully, which we would define at three or four times a month. So isn't that interesting? So that means that two-thirds of that group that self-identifies as Christian, two-thirds of them probably only go to church a few times a year. Just get, get what the statistics mean. Only 34% make claim to reading the Bible. So that means basically you're you're the same number there. 19% find a way to serve or volunteer. And 17% of that 73% are discipled in any meaningful way. Interesting. Go to the next slide. 46%, 46%, now I'm talking now of that 31% that say, hear me, that, that say, I go to church at least once a month. Okay? I, I go to church at least once a month. 46% attend a church of 100 people or less. Isn't that interesting? 37% attend a church of somewhere between 100 and 500. 9% attend a church of 500 to almost 1,000. And then 8% attend attend a church of a thousand or more isn't that fascinating i read those statistics and they came out in 2016 
And I thought to myself, that really confirms what probably all of us knew, that, that being in or participating in uh, church or worship service is probably on a trajectory in America that's going downward. In other words, we're in a downward spiral with regards to how many people feel like it's important for whatever reason in order to be in church. Now, let's talk about that. And I entitled the message today, Do I Have to Go to Church? Do I Have to? I mean, I remember growing up and, and saying to my parents when they came in and we were going to church that day, I remember saying, I said, do I have to go to church, really? Are you going to make me go to church today? And so I want to talk about the myth of individualism, whether or not going to church is mandatory. And I want to read out of Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. So you can follow along as I read this. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, therefore, brethren, who's the brethren? That means it's. He could have said cistern too. He said, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Now, he's talking to a group. I'm going to come back to this, but he's talking to a group that's predominantly Jewish. He's using the analogies of the Old Testament to communicate to a group of Jewish people who have recently come to faith in Jesus Christ. So he's talking to people, Jewish background, but they're Christian. And he's saying, because all of these things have taken place to you, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So he's exhorting them all to these things. He goes on and says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner or the habit of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do I have to go to church? Now, I suspect all of you know where I'm going to land on this subject. But you may not understand all the reasons that I might land there. I want to make it plain and I want to put it on the table that going to church or church attendance is not what specifically saves you. I want to say that out loud. You're not saved because you go to church. Going to church doesn't automatically make you a Christian. A lot of people go to church, but they don't know Jesus in a salvific way. In other words, they're not born again. They, they, they haven't been saved. They're in church and that's a good thing. We're not saying that's bad we're just saying that doesn't save you any more than if you slept in a garage you would become a car or if you lived in a tent at dick sporting goods you would suddenly become an athlete or a sportsman where you happen to to be doesn't translate into someone who you are so 
our churches in America are filled with people who attend for all sorts of reasons. You say, well, why would you go to church if you weren't saved? Well, people go for all kinds of reasons. Some people go to church because it used to be, and it's kind of changing now, that if you went to church, you'd meet good people, and that was a, made that you have a good reputation, and therefore you could network your business. People like networking businesses through their church. Some people go to church because they want some moral input for their lives or their family. Some people go to church because it's a sense of tradition or duty. But I want to be clear that going to church isn't what saves you. However, saved people go to church. Because cars have been known to be found in garages. Athletes have been known to go to sports stores. So being a Christian and going to church is not completely disconnected. In fact, the question really isn't should a Christian go to church because intuitively and spiritually most people know that is a part of the faith journey you rarely if ever have to ask a truly converted person to go to church i remember when i got saved back when i was 18 years old i was born again radical conversion i told you the story and no one told me you got to go to church i just wanted to get up and go to church it was something like intuitively that happened inside of me when that happened the question becomes how faithful must i be and what part and priority does the church community have in my life? You know, for an increasing number of these self-identified, the 73% of self-identified Christians here in America, we find that they're opting out of consistent church attendance and participation is becoming easier and easier to neglect. Now, I suspect, and this is just some of my own observations after pastoring now for 34 years, I suspect some of this is technologically driven. There's little doubt that technology in the 21st century has been a game changer. And I don't know that anybody has really sat down and thought about how the Internet changes what we might constitute or define as church. I mean, it used to be the question, can I sit in front of a TV and watch church services? And that qualifies as going to church. That used to be the question for, since TV's been around. But now that you have internet, you can literally go to church 24-7 every hour of the day if you want to. You can watch in real time. Like right now on Facebook Live, there are people who are watching live, real time, globally, what's going on here in this room. Now, we're not the largest church in the world. But even in our church you can, you can send out this signal where globally people can watch this thing live time. Is that going to church? There are people that subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and they watch it faithfully. Is that church? Or any of you right here, you can pick your favorite church or your favorite pastor. Doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to have big bucks to go live. All you need is somebody with a phone and a, and a, and a tripod and you can go live anywhere. It's amazing what you can find now on Facebook. In fact, I know of one church that even is creating intentionally an online membership. You can be a member of that church and you never have to leave your home. You can sit there and you can watch them online. I'm not throwing stones at it. I'm, I'm just simply asking the question, is that going to church? Does that fulfill what it is that, that the writer here in Scripture is telling us we need to fulfill? Now, I'm obviously streaming live. I've got a YouTube channel. But what about real live connection? 
What does it mean to be in connection in a local church? Do I have to do that? So technology has changed some things. But the disconnection with with church attendance, I think, in many ways, was summed up in a blog that I read this week. And this is what the writer said in the blog. They wrote these words. In fact, I I think it was a, a, a woman. She said, church is just not working for me anymore. I thought that was interesting. Church isn't working for me anymore. Now, when I read that, I got a big grin on my face because it's the ultimate pragmatic response. Unless something is practically and pragmatically doing it for me, I don't see any reason to be there. You know what you're saying? You're saying, that's just a waste of my time. Because it's not doing it for me. Now, my analysis is this. We are living in a generation which is basing truth upon their feelings. My guess is that church for many people is analogous to a dating relationship or a marriage. In fact, those of you that have been in dating relationships or you're now married or have been married, you, you, you connect with me here for just a second. When you're in this relationship, you're dating, you're married, or whatever the case may be, you're in love. And, and when you're in love, everything is good. Oh, that way he laughs. It's just, it's just, oh. But you know, you hang around him for a couple years and all of a sudden that laugh grates on you. It's, it's not like it was in the beginning. I mean, it was cute. Something they did was cute when you first met them. And then, you know, after a year or two, you're going, that ain't cute anymore. That thing is grating to me. I mean, but, but that's how it works with love. There are those feelings when you're in love. You're in love with everything. And that's what it is kind of in church. When you go to church, a lot of times it's like you just, you're in, you just fall in love. And, and it's the songs. They, they, they do the right songs. And it's just the songs are right. The message is right. And I like it, everything. And everything, everything is good and it's relevant. And you feel like, this is the funniest one, that you feel like the pastor has bugged your bedroom. How did you know what I was thinking yesterday? I mean, were you hearing what we were saying? I mean, it just works that way. And everybody thinks this is the best. It's just like the honeymoon period of a marriage. The first months of dating, church can do no wrong. But then the magic starts wearing off. Just like the person you've dated or the one that you married. The shine diminishes. The luster's gone. It's not new. There are prettier people out there that you're starting to notice. Your church has some dings. You begin to wonder. I've counseled people this way. They begin to wonder. I don't know. Maybe I married too quickly. Maybe I decided too quickly. Maybe I missed God's will. Maybe there's someone better out there. So they say, well, I just won't be married anymore to this person, and I'll go be married to this other person because that's probably God's will. I missed it. You've seen things that it's worst And what was once this great romance has now become just another obligation and duty. And you don't feel like it ought to be that way. There ought to be excitement. There ought to be fun. There ought to be romance. There ought to be everything. And I'm just not getting it from this person. And I'm just not getting it from this church anymore. It's just not working for me. So I think we might need to break up. See, my guess is that the reason many people eject from church isn't because of leadership failure because fact of the matter is pastors have fallen but i'll tell you the vast majority of pastors don't fall 
It's not because of the toxicity of fellowship or some doctrinal error. Now hear me. If there is sin in leadership and if there is toxicity and if there is doctrinal error, then you have my permission to hit the door running. But when there's no infidelity and no immorality and no toxicity and no error, it's simply that you've just lost that love and feeling. Well, don't you think you need to stop and ask yourself, is that really what this is all about? See, we have a generation who divorces at the drop of a hat. We switch spouses or we switch our significant live togethers for a little reason that maybe somebody gained a few pounds. I always find it fascinating. I've said this before that you watch those Hollywood people, the most beautiful people in the world, marry the most beautiful people in the world. And they can't, even though they're the most beautiful people in the world, they can't make it work for more than about five years. Why is that? Because it's based on just a feeling. That's what we do even in local church life because we're feeling led. My needs aren't being met anymore when in fact it's not a leading, it's an undiscerned feeling. So America is three quarters, 75% almost self-identified Christian, but we're spiraling downward with regards to true and vital spirituality. I think we need to ask ourselves, do we really need to be at church? Well, I think there are reasons. Let me give you some reasons, moving quickly. I want to give you real reasons why people don't want to be in church. I'm just going to give you two, and then I'm going to talk to you about the local church. The first one is this. This is the real reason why people don't want to be in church. The rising sense, I put, of optionality. Isn't that a great word? Optionality. Come to church and learn new words. Optionality. We are living in a day of 10,000 options. And church is but one of 10,000 options. In fact, church is on the same level with every activity offered down at the community center. It was interesting. Back in the 1990s, Trace and I did the college age ministry. And we used to laugh as we did that ministry because when we did it, you could, you could have 100 college age kids at the meeting or you could have two. And we used to chuckle because between 100 attending and two attending, dependent on the options that were available 30 minutes before the meeting started. Is this my best option? Is this going to be fun? Or, and it probably would be fun, but would this be more fun? See, attendance at anything in our day and age is now evaluated and prioritized on the basis of whether it's fun or not. If it's fun, the priority rises. If it's not fun, the priority lowers. And this generation prioritizes based on feelings at the moment. If you can move their feelings and make them feel like it's fun, then they will choose that option. That's why all the different entertainment features that come with church. We want to entertain you so you'll make sure you'll connect with it so it'll be fun and it'll be cool and you can be here. And that's what they'll choose. And so that's what we've based our whole come, come be with us on. And, and let me just say this, that, that optionality runs counter to discipline. Our flesh chooses options that eject us from our disciplines. So 
you know, why you aren't trying to make things drudgery and you aren't trying to make things boring and you aren't trying to make things just pure obligation and duty. At the same time, there are certain things that have to be input into you that, that just may not be fun but are necessary. It's, it's like when you said, I used to set my kids down when we were feeding them. In fact, the story about Tyler was when we were trying to get him to eat vegetables, he would never eat vegetables. Why? Because vegetables aren't fun. Cotton candy's fun. Slurpees, icy slurpees are fun. I mean, he loved macaroni and cheese. He would eat it every day. That's fun. Broccoli, not so much. Green beans, not so much. It's not fun. But how many of you know you got to get some broccoli in the boy? You got to get some green beans in the boy. You got to get some things in their diet or why? They won't grow up right. You can't grow a kid up on macaroni and cheese and a hot dog. Are you following me? It's like, I don't, I mean, I hear this. Well, you know, my kids don't have fun anymore at church. When's it about fun? Have they had fun at school? Let me go to their school. Let me see how they're educated. They have fun? Math's not fun. I don't remember math being fun. I don't remember. I remember there were times I didn't want to get up and my mom or dad drug my sorry carcass out of bed. And they said, I don't care whether it's fun or not. You're going to learn to read. You're going to go to school. You're going to graduate. You're going to, you're going to, and I, you know what I did? And you know what? I'm better for it because I can come up with great words like optionality now. But we don't do it because it's fun. We do it because it's right and it's healthy. And that's what we've lost. Church has become one of 10,000 options. And I, I can't beat, I can't beat Disney and I can't beat I can't beat all the glitz and glamour out there, but I'll guarantee you Disney isn't going to help you get where you need to be in life. Optionality. We've got 10,000 options, and God forbid we, we don't experience them all. Number two. The rising, excuse me, the reigning sense of individuality. The reigning sense of individuality. What do I mean by that? I mean that there's a, there's a, a libertarianism. It's, this is not political, so don't think I'm being, going political here. I'm not. When I say libertarianism, I'm talking about individuality. There, there is, no matter what your political outlook may be, there's, there's an individuality that is now sunk into uh, the culture, which basically says it's, it's, it's about me. It's about my individuality. It's about what I think. It's, it's, it, it, it revolves around me. I'm the individual. And therefore, our morality has become individualized. If, if it's true to me and it's moral to me, then it's okay. As long as I think it's okay, it's okay. Don't make me feel bad because this is what I think. Our religion has become the same way. It's about me. And so we, we, we emphasize Jesus died for the individual. Yes, he did. If you were the only one, he'd have died for you. I agree with the statement. Jesus is very personal. He's a personal Lord and Savior. He works with you as an individual. But hear me, if you'll notice Jesus' life, he not only died for the individual, but he died for us all the world. Jesus, Jesus was constantly, consistently gathering people in the midst of of his ministry 
And technology, unfortunately, has made isolation and individuality more accessible and viable. Because now we've got Google. I don't have to go to the doctor because I can just go to Google MD. And, and some, probably some in this room, you'll Google MD every time you have a pain and you will believe that you have some sort of terminal disease. Because I Googled Google MD. I'm an expert now because I can get all the symptoms. I can know all, all the potential prescriptions. I'm my own doctor. I'm my own lawyer. I can, get, I can get the paperwork, everything I need. I'm my own diagnostician. I'm my own mathematician. I'm my own, I'm my own uh, mechanic. I'm my own spiritual expert. I, I'm my own because I can Google. I can Google all these things. And so I, I, you know, I'm in constant conversations with, with self-identified experts because they know how to cut and paste out of Google. They find what they want to find that justifies whatever it is they want to believe, and they cut and paste and say, here, I'm the expert. And it's, it's the myth of individuality. It's me. It's what I think. That's all that matters. Now, obviously, the first century knew nothing about all this technology we have today. But the Holy Spirit left every century some instructions. Let me talk about this in the, in the text. So I'm going to get back now to Hebrews chapter 10. If you didn't think I was going to get there, I'm getting there right now. So this Hebrew writer is writing to Hebrew Christians who have been saved out of their Judaism, and now they're sorting out their doctrine because they've come to Christ, and, and they're trying to figure out how their Jewishness works within the context now of this new thing called Christianity. And so the writer tells them that Christ is like a high priest. And so he's using these images that they already know in order to help explain to them what it means to be a Christian. And, and, and it's a great book because the writer helps us out and tells us with regards to what changes and what doesn't change. Hebrews is the best book in understanding how, how the old covenant is changed or not changed when it comes to the cross and into the new covenant. And so this is what he tells them. He tells them with regards to this whole business of assembling together, he tells them that they are to indeed assemble. He says, don't forsake the assembly. Some, see, this is what he's saying. He said, some of these Jews who became Christians, they don't think they have to assemble anymore. But I'm telling you that you're to assemble. Don't forsake the assembly, as is the habit of some. And it's interesting because Jesus, when he talked about the church, he used the word in the Greek, ecclesia, or the called out ones. Jesus picked a Greek word out. The Holy Spirit inspired that word in order to explain that they were going to be called out. They were going to assemble under a cause in order to change the landscape. But the Hebrew writer uses a different word than ecclesia. He uses the word which we get synagogue from. And this is what he's saying. He's saying in much the same way that you assembled when you were a Jew in a synagogue for certain reasons, I'm telling you now as a believer, you're to assemble in much the same manner. And so you can go to Acts chapter 2 and you can begin to read verses 40 through 47 and you can begin to see what it is they began to do. They met from house to house. They met under Solomon's portico for large group gatherings. They were taught the Bible says the apostles' doctrine. They were trained in foundational matters. They fellowshiped with each other. They broke bread. They practiced ordinances. They baptized people, communion. Uh, they did all of these things 
as they gathered together and the hebrew writer says just as they did that you're to continue to do that now no offense it's hard to do that over the internet in fact you can't really hear what someone's saying because the last thread you were on wasn't wired for sound and that's why everybody gets aggravated at each other when they try to talk to each other on a thread on the internet because it's not wired for sound so you're to gather. Because if I was writing out this message, it may say one thing to you in written form, but now that you're here and you can see my face and you can hear my intonation and what I'm emphasizing, tell I'm a nice guy, you receive it in a way that's different than if it's just written there. And so he's saying you've got to assemble together. He says all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, we can define what the day is, but how many of you know the day is approaching? <laughs> I guarantee you the day is approaching. You define the day any way you want to define it, but it's approaching. And he's saying when you see the day approaching, that's not the time to disconnect. That's the time to dig in, stay connected. So let me give you some reasons, and I'm going to go through this quickly. Reasons a local church is a priority. In other words, do I really have to go to church? I'm going to tell you why it's a priority. It's interesting. Statisticians, I was like doing my research. Statisticians tell us that believers who attend a local church are statistically better positioned for relational and life success. That doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean that you're going to end up being perfect. But there's a correlation that exists statistically between those who prioritize being in the house of God and those that don't. There is statistical research that tells us this is true. So if you like statistics, there's a reason. That's not even on my list, but there's a reason. But I'm going to give you now, I'm going to give you seven quick things. I'm just going to go through it like this. Do I have to go to church and why do I have to go to church? Number one is this. God or Jesus says it's important. Those of you that are parents will identify with this rather quickly. Have you ever asked your kids to do something and they always want a reason? And finally, you're tired of giving reasons and you just say, because I said so. I, I cannot tell you how many times we started out trying to morally reason with our children and find out that they are morally unreasonable a lot of times. Until finally, it didn't matter. They weren't wanting a reason. They, were just, they just didn't want to do it. And finally, I, they, they'd ask, and they'd say, why, why, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to clean my room? Why do I have to do chores? Why do I do that? Because I said so. Just do it. I said so. There are just times you just, you're, just, you're either exhausted or you, maybe you don't even have time to do it. But hear me, when, when, when as a parent you're doing this, if you're a good parent, and I, most of us are good parents, the reason we do these things is because we can see their future. We can see their well-being. We can see their safety. Why can't I go play in that big hole over there? You know, why can't I go? Why can't I climb into the sewer system? And you're going, I don't even know how to make sense out of the question. I'm just telling you, no, you're not going to do it. Why? I don't get it. Tommy down the street gets to play in the sewer system. And, you know, and then we go, well, if Tommy jumped off a cliff, would you do that too? I mean, this is all the things we say as parents. And the reason we say it is because we know. We know what's going to happen. Hear me when I say this. Jesus knows. 
He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, I don't get to. Everybody else gets to. All my other Christian friends, they only have to go once a month. And they seem okay. Yeah, well, they may be okay today. But they may not be okay a decade from now. You see, Jesus sees. He understands. And in the last analysis, and I'll give you some other reasons here, but in the last analysis, here's the deal. God said so. (laughs) He said so. And we go, yes, sir. If you said it was important, then I bet you know better than me. I'm going to do it. That's number one. Number two, we have all the apostles in the early church which modeled it. We just find those believers doing it. I mean, they were modeling all of this. So it's a natural deduction that if they're modeling and the book of Acts is this book of incredible miracles and success and, and, and engagement and all the things that we think the Bible stories tell us, if these guys are modeling, I, I want to model what they did. And they were assembling together. Number three, every Christian needs a spiritual support system. The local church is the place where Christians are supported and encouraged in their journey. Now, I've said this before. Everybody gets a vacation. Everybody has to be away on occasion. I get it. You know, I'm going to find times I have to be away. So I get it. But hear me when I say this, that as a whole, those are the exceptions and not the rule. It's a support system. Our local church is a support system that Christians need where we're encouraged. Number four, I put this one in there, isolation tends to breed weirdness. Why is it weird? Because because when you're by yourself, that's when the enemy messes with your mind. He tells you things, and it just messes with you. And sometimes you need to be with someone else, and, and sometimes you'll let leak one of those things the enemy has put in your mind, and you'll say it out loud, and you need somebody to look at you and say, that isn't true. That's a lie. That's the enemy. That's bizarre. And I've just found isolated people tend to be, just can be a tad weird. They're isolated. Why is it it that we want our kids to have socialization? I've heard parents say this oftentimes. "My, My child has to have socialization in order to grow up right. Well, why do you want that? Because you know if they spend all their time alone, they become weird. That's why you want socialization. Because you want them to see how the other kids act. You want them to interact, to learn how to share, to learn how to get along. I mean, these are all things we want. These are all things we still need. Number five, a Christian is a part of a body. When you became a Christian, Paul said you became a part of the body. And when you're not there, it's like missing an appendage off your body. Would you miss your hand if it wasn't there? Would you miss your foot if it wasn't there? You'd miss your pinky if it wasn't there. You are a part of a body and you are missed when you're not there. Will the body go on? Sure, I can lose fingers and toes and hands. I don't want to, but I could lose them. And yes, I'll go on without it. But it doesn't mean Mr. Foot's just hopping. You've got to be connected. You have an assignment. You're here. Your presence makes a difference. Maybe you don't have an official job, but your job may be just to sit with somebody, look them in the eye and just say, man, it's good to see you, man. You know, God bless. You know, just the connection of being with people. You're a part of a body. Number six, every Christian needs discipline, routine, and ritual. 
I'm just continuing to use the ongoing illustration of our kids. They flourish in life when there are these three things present around them, discipline, routine, and ritual. We are God's kids. The same can be said of us. Your life will flourish when you implement discipline, routine, and ritual. Whenever there's order, that's where peace and joy flows to order. Peace and joy does not flow to anarchy or to chaos. It flows to order. When you have discipline, routine, and ritual, which is what making weekly attendance and participation in a local church does. Routine, discipline, ritual. Then finally, number seven, it's a place of challenge, correction, and encouragement. And these are just things I sketched out. I remember years ago when I was pastoring in Oakland, California, uh, there was a guy at church that got me involved in the Kiwanis, which is like a civic organization. And uh, I thought that'd be good. It'd be good to make some friends and, 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 and network and kind of see what's going on in the business community. And so I went through this process of joining the Kiwanis. Now, if you've never joined a civic organization, I want to tell you something. If you, think, if you think church is challenging, you ought to go join a civic organization. What they had me go through to join the civic organization, I thought to myself, sweet Jesus, if I were to do this in church life, nobody would go to church. But everybody, I won't say everybody, but a good number of men at that time wanted to join the Kiwanis Club. And you had to do all kinds of things. You had to walk around with this apron for about four weeks in a row where you had to walk up to people and get them to sign your apron. Could you imagine being a new member at a church, putting an apron on them and saying, I want you to walk around the church for four weeks and get other members to sign your apron? It wouldn't work, would it? But it's amazing what we'll do for the Kiwanis Club. And then what happened was I started, I missed two, it was on Thursday, I missed two Thursdays, I forgot why, I had to go to like a district meeting and something else I had to be a part of, and I got a call on the phone from one of the guys, and he said, I'm calling to ask where you've been. I said, well, I've had a meeting, or and uh, said a district meeting, I'm, I was, it was kind of awkward for a moment. He goes, well, how long are these meetings going to last? I said, well, I don't no sometimes there are on thursdays well you really need to shift your schedule is there any way you can shift your schedule and i'm, I'm sitting on the talking to a guy with the kiwanis now i tell you that story because i'm just here to tell you that the kiwanis demand more accountability <laughs> and, and 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 will bring correction and challenge in a far more significant way than most local churches will bring to anyone's life and yet people will just, they, they, they want to be a part of it. And yet church is one of 10,000 options. Being in church is really, really important. I mentioned before my mother-in-law is in a, an assisted living situation. But I just smile because every Sunday, and, and midweek too, Wednesday, when it's time for their service, their church is down in the recreation room and they have a pastor come, but that's their church because most of them can't drive. They're there. I watch these people get up in their walkers or rolling in their wheelchairs. They're, they're getting down to church. Now hear me, they can watch church nonstop on all their television sets that are in their room. And nobody would even say anything to them. 
but there's something in them that just gets up. And I don't know what the percentage is. I'm sure not all of them go, but I'm just saying it's amazing the army that gets up, that, that, <laughs> that walker army. <laughs> I, I don't know what they could take. They're taking the devil, though, I'll guarantee you that, with those walkers. What the devil sees, he doesn't see those old people with walkers. He sees the saints of God going to their church. I just want to encourage you. I understand. I'm preaching to the choir. I get it. You're the choir. You're here. God bless you. But maybe somewhere along the way, you might run into somebody who will say to you, you know that church stuff? It's just not working for me. And you can look at him and say, listen, (laughs) whether or not you think it's working for you, it's something you absolutely need. It's God's house. Jesus thinks it's important. He died for it. I want to be in the middle of it, don't you? Stand with me, will you? I'm going to pray for you.